Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 14 through 25. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. To us this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove it from, move from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. Now, as we move into studying tonight these verses, it will help us to remember the question that Ezekiel asked God in verse 13, where we ended up last week in verse 13. Remember, he was, he was prophesying, Pelatiah dies, and in verse 13, look at this, the last part of the verse. It says, Ezekiel cried out, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? This is the question that Ezekiel asked. And I'm going to show you tonight that the passage that I just read to you that we're going to be studying tonight is God's answer to Ezekiel's question. So again, I want to make sure you hear me because this is what we're going to deal with all night. Ezekiel's question was, Lord, are you going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel. In other words, are you going to wipe them all out? And so many of us hopefully already know the answer to this question, but we're going to spend our time tonight dealing with it because as you've heard me say before, and I want to repeat, most Christians today don't know the answer to this question. Most Christians today don't get the answer correct. Definitely those in the world who don't know the Lord will get this question wrong. And we who know the Lord and study his word and obey his word, really, really, really need to be the ones who know the right answer to that question. Will God make a full end to the remnant of Israel? I'm going to tell you ahead of time, the answer is very obviously no. But God's answer is very interesting, and there's a lot that we can learn in his answer to Ezekiel. All right? Now, it will do us good to look at this question, like I said, because most Christians, over two-thirds of Christians today, and many denominations that are mainline Christians would tell you that God is done with Israel. And we're going to deal with that tonight. Now, in the beginning of God's answer to Ezekiel's question, look here at verses 14 and following. You'll see that God reminds Israel that he has been looking after all the exiles who had already been taken into captivity, even though those left in Jerusalem thought God had forgotten the exiles and given the land to them. All right, in Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 14 through 16, let me read it to you again. I want you to see what's going on. The exiles that are, I mean, sorry, the, the people in Jerusalem that are still left in Jerusalem, their attitude is, 
The reason we're still here is because God likes us and he's given the land to us. The reason all those people were exiled is because God doesn't like them. And that was mindset. As you've already seen, their mindset of the people still left in Jerusalem was pretty messed up. But remember, Nebuchadnezzar came and in three waves, 605, Daniel and his buddies were all taken, and 597, Ezekiel, and 10,000 were taken. And now the people that are left in Jerusalem that are messed up in their head, their attitude is the reason that God took those people out is because they were no good. He's given the land to us. Listen to how it words in verses 14 and following. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord to us. This land is given for a possession. Therefore, this is what you're to say to them. Thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a a while in the countries where they have gone. In other words, God says, you think that I'm done with these people that I've taken into exile and that I, I don't like them? Let me remind you. I've been a sanctuary to them in the places where we're gone. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to read to you some old Bible stories that you might not have ever really looked at since you were a kid in Sunday school. But we're going to reread some of the children's Bible stories, if you will, some of our stories from our childhood. But I want you to listen to them again, afresh and anew from this mindset. We're going to read the stories of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though Naaman healed of his leprosy. We're going to read these stories again but I want you to listen to it now, reminding, being reminded that these stories all happened while people were taken into exile. And how, look at how God took care of them and prospered them even though they were in exile. That's important for where we're going in a little bit. Start with me in Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> Go to Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to jump to verses 17 through 21. In Daniel chapter 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave, to, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Jump to verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. By the way, as we've been doing our study of Ezekiel and thinking about the fact that Ezekiel's been taken into captivity there in Babylon and he's there in exile, has it ever even really crossed our minds? The fact that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are all there right now at that same time? We never even put that together in our minds, did we? Because we're thinking about what's going on in that time. But I want you to see Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's their Hebrew names, are all there right now in Babylon at the same time. And God sheltered them and even promoted them. Go to chapter 3. Look at verses 8 through 30. Daniel chapter 3. Look at verses 8 and following. Therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before their king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, It's true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God who will deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, "Did we not cast th these men, uh, three men, bound into the fire?" They answered and said to the king, "True, O king." And he answered and said, "But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods." Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. Over the bodies of these men, their hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Look at verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So had God forgotten the exiles that had been taken out of Jerusalem? No. Remember, Ezekiel's question is, are you going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel? Because I know you're going to judge Israel and you're going to destroy most of them, as you've already said, and you've proven it by having Pelatiah die. Are you going to wipe them all out? <laughs> well, first off, you might have heard that the people in Jerusalem were saying that I don't care for you guys that have been taken into exile and that I've given the land to them. Why don't you go back and tell the people back in Jerusalem that I've been a shelter to all the exiles in the land that I brought them into exile. And now we're reminded of it with the story of Daniel Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Go to Daniel chapter 6. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer in power, and neither are the Babylonians at this point when we get to chapter 6. Darius is now in charge. And remember, the Babylonians were overtaken by who? The Medes and the Persians. And at this point, Babylon's not even in authority anymore. Darius is now the king. After Darius comes Cyrus. And remember, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So now Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, is in control in Babylon. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Then Daniel knew that the, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making his petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day... The king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm." Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They were they, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Yes, sir. Go for it. Why would the king turn around and promote Daniel and then turn around decree? Because he hadn't thought about what the consequence was. He didn't even think about the fact that Daniel was going to be caught in this trap. It was just simply one of those, I didn't realize that that was going to happen to Daniel. That was simple. That was simply it. You can see once he realized what had happened, he spent that whole day trying to think of probably getting all those lawyers saying, is there any loophole here? I, I made a big mistake. I didn't realize that that was actually going to happen. Okay. And the second question? Well, that was the second question. That was the question. Why would he turn around? Yeah. It was simply, uh, hey, that feels pretty good. I don't have no problem with having people bow to me and pray to me and ask me things for 30 days. He had no idea what the consequence was going to be. And once he realized it, you see in the scripture, he was like, oh, dip. Uh, now what am I going to do? And all he had to stick by it. And then God showed himself. All right. Have you ever wondered why God has these people go into exile? Because remember, most of the people that he's judging are going to be destroyed. Yet this, and it's in waves. And by the way, this isn't the first time this has happened in the history of Israel when the Assyrians and the Babylonians come. I'm going to show you in just a little bit in another story we're going to read. But have you ever thought about why God would take people into exile, but then take care of them and promote them in the land that they've been put into? Go ahead. Yes, and that's the answer. It's to bring God glory and in two ways. 
The scripture actually tells us. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 12. One of the answers is in Ezekiel 12. The first reason is so that the exiled will know that he's God. Some of the people that he took into exile, he did it so that they would realize that he's God. In Ezekiel chapter 12, look at verse 16. He says, but I'm going to let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go and may know that I am the Lord. There are some of the Jews that were taken into exile who came to know that he was God and he was to be feared. He was to be obeyed through their exile. It was for them, the exiles. But there's another reason as well. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. And that's, you're going to see, so that those in the places where they are exiled will know that he is God. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, or the first part of verse 15. In 2 Kings chapter 5, listen to verses 1 through 15. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because the Lord had given victory. By him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. Now, let me just stop real quick. Have we not in our day, in our time, here, heard of people that were taken captive in Israel? During the wars, soldiers that have been taken captive by the enemies? This has been going on for a while. But the attitude that we've had subconsciously, if not consciously, has been, let's hurry up and get them back home. And there's nothing wrong with praying that, but I want you to kind of listen as we read this story. Or the attitude has been, I hope while they're in exile, they're really making it miserable for the people that took them captive. But that's not what happens in this story. In one of their raids in Israel, the Syrians took a little girl captive. Verse two, chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. By the way, if you were a little girl taken captive, and you're a slave now in another country in someone else's house, and your master has leprosy, isn't your first thought going to be, serves him right? I hope he dies. I hope it isn't slow. I mean, hope it isn't fast. I hope it's slow and painful. That's not the attitude. And you're going to see in Scripture just a little bit, not only why in this story, but what the Scripture actually says. And I want to talk to you about living in America for a second. So, verse 4, So Naaman went and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. By the way, I did the math one time on this, and if you added that up in today's numbers, it's in the millions of dollars. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of his Lord and of his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abina and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He's actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I, now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So why was he having people taken into exile? One, so the exiles would know that he was God, and also so that those he, well, wherever he took the exiles into exile, those people would know that he's God. Real quickly, let me take you back and remind you of something we read last week. Go to Jeremiah 29. Remember the message of Jeremiah in chapter 29 to the exiles who were in Babylon? We're going to start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream. In other words, what he said was, you're going to be there a while, remember? Go ahead and plant houses, I mean, build houses, plant crops, let your sons and daughters marry each other. But then he says, pray for the welfare of the nation that I've taken you captive into. Because in your doing so, it'll go well for you. Listen closely to me. You may have been born in the United States of America and think that this is your country. And in a way, it is. But are you really from here? We're not from here, are we? Actually, the Bible says we're strangers and aliens here on the earth. We're actually exiles ourselves, who've been taken captive, if you will. But God has put us here for a reason, and we Christians need to be praying for the welfare of our nation that we've been in, in the place where God has brought us. For too long, Christians have been known for just crying out against the evil of the United States and how bad everything is and all this stuff. Folks, the world's going to be that way. The Bible says it's going to be the case. We are to be the salt and the light and to be praying for this nation. And I pray that God will continue to raise up godly men and women who will be for this country and he'll move them into positions of leadership, even as we've seen with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that they'll have an influence. Oh, did the Babylonians all turn to God? No. Did the Chaldeans or the Medes and the Persians? No. But they had an effect on the nation while they were there, and we need to have that same mindset. We're not here to change this country. We are exiles in this country. One day we're going to go to our home and be with him. 
But until then, he's got us here for a reason, that those around us would know that there is a God. All right? So don't spend your time talking about how bad America is. Let's talk about how good God is. And let him do what he wants while we're here. It makes sense? So, by the way, that's just the first part of God's responding. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 11. That's just the first part of God's responding to Ezekiel's question where he says, you know, are you going to make a full end of the remnant of Israel? And he says, well, let me remind you, first of all, that um, I care about you guys that have been taken into exile, even though the people in Jerusalem said that I don't care about you and the land's been given to them. Actually, I've been a shelter to you the whole time that you've been in exile. So after reminding and reassuring Ezekiel that he'd been a sanctuary to them while they were in exile, God then goes on and answers Ezekiel's question. But he answers it in the verses that we read here in our study tonight. He answers it, the question with two parts. And I'm going to answer and deal with the second part of the answer, God's answer uh, first. Go to Ezekiel chapter 11, look at verse 21. This is the second part of his answer to the question. He says in verse 21, But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations... I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. And what he says is simply this. For those who don't respond appropriately to the judgment that I'm bringing, they're going to get what they deserve. They're going to get what they deserve. All right? And you don't have to turn there, but let me remind you of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, we see that at the very end of the tribulation period, at the end of the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a great white throne judgment where all the wicked dead from all history come and stand before the great white throne of God. And he's going to, the Bible says that books are opened and everything that they had done in their lives had been recorded in the books and they were judged according to what had been written in the books. And so, God says, as for those who disobey, I'm keeping track, and they're going to get everything they deserve. That's the second part of his answer. The first part, though, is really cool. Remember, that what was the question again that Ezekiel asked? Are you going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel? Well, let me remind you. We saw last time we were together that in chapter 9, or a couple times ago that we were, in, we were together in chapter 9, we're not going to turn there, that God had the man clothed in linen go amongst Jerusalem and mark on the foreheads of those stealing them, the ones who were grieved over the sin that was going on in Jerusalem, and they were spared the judgment that was to come. But they were marked in another way as well that many of us might not realize. And I want to show you what the scripture says about that. They were marked in another way that you might not have realized. Go to Malachi chapter 3. And this ties to God's answer to Ezekiel's question. Malachi chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This is what God says about them. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. In other words, those who feared God spoke with each other, and God paid attention. He wrote all their names down, and he said, these are going to be my treasured possession. But don't miss those three words there in the middle of verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. What's the next three words? 
in that day or in the day, you're going to see that later on tonight, a bunch. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, God says there's a time coming when I'm going to make up my treasured possession and it's going to be of all those who feared me. They're going to be mine. And at that time, there's going to be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. God promises Ezekiel that he is not done with the remnant of Israel, nor will he ever be. Go with me back to Ezekiel chapter 11. Look at verses 17 through 20. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been, have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Remember, the people in Jerusalem said the land has been given to us. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to gather you from all the nations and the countries I've scattered you to, and I'm going to give to you the land of Israel. It hasn't been given to those wicked people in Jerusalem. They're going to be destroyed in this, in this attack. I'm going to give to you, but don't miss that, the land of Israel. And when they come here, they will remove it from it, all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I'll put within them. And I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Has anybody caught the interesting thing that happened in what God just said here? Has anybody noticed it yet? Look at the tense. It jumps very clearly from you to they. And don't miss that because that's important as you study prophecy. He's making a promise to Ezekiel and all the nations, of the people of Israel, that are going to be fulfilled in these people that he makes his treasured possession. I'm going to give to you, Ezekiel, and I'm going to give, that's a plural you all the way through here. I'm going to give to all y'all that I'm going to give the land of Israel. I'm going to bring you out of the countries I scattered you, and I'm going to give it to you. But now we see that when this happens, is down the road because he says, and when that happens, they are going to do it. Look at, look at verse uh, 18. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see it? He says, I'm going to do this for you, Ezekiel, and all the Jews that are going to be a part of my treasured possession. I'm not done with Israel. And there's going to be a time coming in the future that I'm going to give you the land of Israel but just so you don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, this day that I'm talking about is a day when they are going to do it as well. All right? Now, the future plan of God for the people of Israel is all throughout the prophecies in the Old Testament. And in the time we have left, we're going to hit them. I had a hard time when I was putting my notes together stopping because there are so many places that talk about this future time when God's going to rebuild Israel in the land for that thousand-year time that we call the Millennial Kingdom. But I'm just going to read to you just a few. And when I say just a few, maybe 10 to 12. So let's be ready to go. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 8. says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock 
out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall be any, any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the, and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell where? In their own land. Folks, let me just ask you a question. Has this prophecy been fulfilled yet? Good answer. The answer is no, because we see here that at that time, Jesus, the descendant of David, the branch of David, the righteous one, the Lord, our righteousness is going to rule and reign in the land over them. And they're going to be gathered from all the nations. Now, I say that at the same time, because many Christians today are taking prophecies that we're going to be reading about God gathering them all back into the land. And they're trying to think that that's been fulfilled because of 1948. Now, I want to tell you, I thank God for the fact that he did the work that he did to have the people of Israel become back and become a nation again in 1948 and gather back in their land. And I love the fact that they were able to win the 1967 war and get control of Jerusalem and so on. But listen, that is not the fulfillment of these prophecies about when he's going to gather them all back in the land and they're all going to be there in peace and safety. Because you all know right now they're not in peace and safety right now. They're not. The prophecy said they won't be worried about anything. The reason why they're back in the land is not because they fulfilled the prophecies that hadn't happened yet. It's because in order for the prophecies to be fulfilled, the, the nation of Israel had to be back in their land for the Antichrist to be in the temple to scatter them out of the land. They had to be back in their land when the prophecies said that in the last days, before God gathers them all back in for the final promise that he's been dealing with and we're going to look at, they're going to have to be, Jerusalem's going to have to become a trembling cup for all the world. As you saw, maybe you didn't know, this past Sunday, the 15th, 70 nations from all over the world gathered in Paris to deal with this problem of Jerusalem and the Jews. And I sat there thinking, yeah. The Bible says it's going to happen. In order for the prophecies that lead up to the final prophecies of God finally gathering them back at the end of the tribulation period, in order for those to be fulfilled, the Jews had to be back in the land to become a problem to the world. So don't think that all these prophecies we're looking at, because people, someone came up to me afterwards and they said, but don't you know that people from all over the globe are feeling called back to Israel? That's true. And that's an amazing thing, but that's not what the prophecies are speaking of. Because as you'll keep reading tonight, you'll see what he's speaking of can't be what's happened in 1948. It hasn't happened yet. It's still yet to come. Oh, and by the way, at the midpoint of the tribulation, those who went through the Revelation study, what's the Antichrist going to do toward the nation of Israel? Two-thirds of them are going to be killed, and the, the what's left is going to run out into the desert and the wilderness for half, three and a half years, hiding. And then Jesus is going to come back and bring them all back. 
And that's what these prophecies are talking about. So is God done with the remnant of Israel? Not even close. But go to Isaiah chapter 4. Maybe you don't believe me yet. Go to Isaiah chapter 4 and look at verses 2 through 6. Israel's definitely in unbelief. Isaiah chapter 4, look at verses 2 through 6. In that day, there's those three words again. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Remember Malachi? He wrote their names down. These are going to be my treasured possession. Everyone who's been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstain of the Jerusalem from the midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. In other words, over Jerusalem, when Jesus is there, there's going to be the Shekinah glory of God like what they had in the Old Testament that led them. It's going to be over them in Jerusalem, protecting them in the daytime from the sun and from the rain when it rains. By the way, has that happened yet? Not yet, but it's going to. Go to chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 13. Then there shall come forth from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted and calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze and their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's those words again. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Keep reading, and he'll raise a signal for the nations, and he'll assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Jacob from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Has this happened yet, folks? No. Oh, by the way, who is this branch? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Go to Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 1 through 11. Oh, there are those words again. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. 
Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword and found grace where? In the wilderness, when Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim and give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant women and she who is in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water and straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. By the way, does anybody know why this can't apply to the church? Well, well, not just that. I'm talking in the words of the prophecies that we've been reading. Is God going to scatter us and then reget? No. No. We're not returning. He's never left us. I'm sorry? The church is, isn't promised the land, but it is in one sense. We're going to be with the Jews given land. The actual land of Israel is going to be where the Jews are going to live. We're going to be all over the globe ruling and reigning with him in that way. But all the way through this, you keep saying, I, I scattered them and I had nothing to do with them and I divorced them, but I'm going to bring them back. He never does that to us. We're with him at all times. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Chapter 31, start in verse 31 now. Jump to verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be explored, then I'll cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they've done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Henanel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and then shall turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Go to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. Look at verses 6 and 7. We see those words again. 
In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Let me ask you again, because we may need to make sure we need to know the right answer to this question. Is God going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel? But just in case some of you haven't gotten there yet, go to Jeremiah chapter 5. Go to Jeremiah chapter 5, because this is one of my favorites. Look at verses 18 and 19. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. Is that good enough for you now? I think he answered the question. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done, God done all these things to us? You'll say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so shall you serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. In the midst of Jeremiah's beginning of his prophecy about the judgment of God on the nation of Israel, he says, oh, by the way, and even in that day, God says, and the bad as it's going to get, I'm never going to make a full end of you. I'm not going to be done. Now, some of you might say, okay, Jim, you've proven it a little bit, maybe by the Old Testament, but you haven't used any New Testament passages. Go to Romans. Romans chapter 11. Now, as you go there, let me remind you, if you don't know this, that in chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, Paul's dealing with this whole issue. Because see, Paul wants so bad for the Jews to be saved. But as you remember, in Paul's lifetime, Israel experienced the hardening. And they were kind of put aside. And he's doing his work among the Gentiles and using Paul, even though he's a Jew of the Jews, to preach to the Gentiles. And Paul is an ambassador to the Gentiles, but his heart is still for the people of Israel. And in chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, he says, if I could go to hell and that would cause all Israel to go to heaven, I'd do it. That's how much I care for him. Chapter 10, verse 1, my heart's desire is that Israel be saved. And he deals with this whole concept in chapter 11, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Elijah said, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what, what it was seeking. The elect, elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and they bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. 
Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, the branches were broken off, so I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off, though, because of unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree... How much more will these the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel that's left will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So does the New Testament say that God's going to be done with Israel? Very clearly, no. One more place. You get time. You've listened fast enough. There's three minutes left. You're in Acts. I'm sure you're in Romans. Go back to the book of Acts. Go to chapter 15. You see, this was something that was confusing a little bit to the, the early church. See, the first believers were Jews. And the early church kind of thought that they were still going to be a Jewish thing. And the church, Christianity was going to be a Jewish thing. And that's why when God started saving Gentiles, there were people starting to say, well, okay, this is a little confusing, but if they're going to be Gentiles, they're going to have to become Jews. And when they need to be get circumcised, and they got to follow the law of Moses and all this. And the early church got together, the leaders, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem got together to wrestle with this issue. And as they prayed about it and sought the will of the Lord, James stands up. Look at verse uh, 12 of chapter 15. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's talking about Peter, has related how, first, how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, 
After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known of old, from of old. James goes back to an Old Testament passage that talks about how in the last days God's going to rebuild the tent of David that has fallen as one of the prophecies we read tonight. How he's going to rebuild David's fallen tent. Oh, and by the way, when he's doing that, there'll be Gentiles included. The prophecy had said that. And so he's saying, okay, you know what? This surprised us a little bit that he was saving Gentiles too. But the prophecies in the Old Testament said that he would. But don't miss this. The prophecy that he, God brought, the Holy Spirit brought to his mind also said that in the last days he's going to rebuild who? Israel, the Jews. So, folks, I could go on. Time-wise, we don't have time. I could remind you of Acts chapter 1 where Luke is writing the book, and he says to Theophilus, who I, he wrote the first book, the Gospel of Luke 2. He said, I showed you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. He said, let me just remind you that from the day that he rose from the dead until the day he ascended, those, during those 40 days, he taught only his disciples. He appeared only to believers, and he taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And if you remember, the disciples say to Jesus, well, before he ascends, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they had been under Jesus' teaching for 40 days about what the kingdom of God was. It must have included the fact that Israel was going to be restored to the land. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you in a few days, and you're going to receive power. And you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. But is God going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes. Does that land that they're in belong to them? Yes. But you're about to find out as we get later in our Ezekiel study, that's not even a small portion of what God's really going to give them when he brings them all back in the final days in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, where Jesus rules and reigns in Jerusalem. Oh, the world's not going to like it. If the world actually believed the Bible and saw the land that he's going to give to them, you'd understand why, how mad they'd be. The Syrians aren't going to like it. The Jordanians aren't going to like it because the land that God actually has given to them and is going to give to them again when he brings them all back is going to be way, way bigger than you'd ever thought. And as we've seen tonight, God is not done with Israel. Oh, they still got some stuff to go through. They're still in that hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And then there's, there's some point where the full number of the Gentiles comes. Church age is over. What was the church age's purpose again, though? To make Israel jealous, he takes us home in the rapture. And then he finishes the time of Jacob's trouble. Tribulation period. The world all goes after him. But they'll survive. A remnant will survive that horrible time when God judges the world and purifies his people. And at the end of it, he will gather them from everywhere back into the land. So all the prophecies of him gathering them from all the nations, he scattered them into the land of Israel. Has that been fulfilled in 1948? No. All 1948 did was to put things in place so the prophecies about the world getting mad at Israel and Jerusalem could be fulfilled. They're still going to go through a scattering. It's going to be brief, horrific. But is he going to make a full end of the remnant of Israel? The answer is no. And you not only need to tell people this, you'd be surprised how many of your fellow believers need to know this. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.